Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Kim Crumbly. I am Laura Rancourt. And together we are Counselor Accents. Two school counselors who are in the trenches with you every single day. We know the issues you're facing because we are right there with you every single day. So, Laura, I have to start off by saying I went to Bucky's for the first time today. Oh, gosh, you need to give me a warning before you say that because, you know, our listeners know that I had food poisoning over over the holidays. So we went to Bucky's that day. Bucky's is not what made me sick. But if you walk into, if you're within a one mile radius of Bucky's, you can smell the brisket that is cooking. And you will smell like the brisket for the next three days. That's a warning that you need to know. And so when you say Bucky's, I automatically smell it. My mind goes back to the day of food poisoning, 2022. And now you sick. I'm sick. Now I'm sick. So I'll be taking a sick day tomorrow. So if you see a beaver crossing the road, because Bucky is a beaver, it makes you right back. You're sick. I'm sick. I have never been. It's like city. Bucky's is a city. I do not know if all listeners have a Bucky's nearby, but Bucky's is a gas station, nay, a gas city. So you a can get city. there's like fifty pumps. And what is so funny is, like, I had went in with my principal and my assistant superintendent because we'd went because they were insistent that I go to Bucky's, and I knew I need to get home for the podcast. But I got in there. And there's a beef jerky area. There's a brisket area. There is deli area. There's all kind of beaver nuggets that to get flavors. And it is like a, it is, I was having a ball. I was having a ball. And the Bucky man comes up to me. He was not in a beaver outfit, but he did have on the red uniform. And he said, I am not lying. I was standing there with assistant principal, uh, superintendent. And he goes, have you been to the bathroom? Well, I don't know, Bucky. That's a thing. It's a thing. And I'm like, the whole thing. what are you? Why would you come up behind me and ask me, have I been to the bathroom? I mean, what are you thinking is happening? If you if you're telling a grown adult woman, have you been to the bathroom? So I'm like, what have I done? Have I reached that age where I don't know what noises are soiled coming your out pants. of your You've soiled your pants. Am you I? And I sold in my, what is happening here? And I'm like, well, no, I have not been to the restroom. And uh, so my friend jumps in and he goes, oh, you've got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, what is happening? And they are like, this is an experience that you do not want to. And I, it's just like, well, why would I take my family anywhere else but Bucky's for a vacation? Why? Well, and the bathroom itself is basically a hotel room. Because you get your own little. I did not want to come out. I did not want to come out. I just got in that little area and I thought, hmm, I didn't even have to go to the bathroom. But that's how much I appreciated those those stalls. So, yes, if you have a Bucky's or if you're traveling and you pass by Bucky's, it is worth a stop. And they're so proud of it. Uh, but let me tell you something. They pay those Bucky workers. They sure do. So, I'm going to start adding them in my career there. I'm going to bring yeah, in my absolutely. career fair. Yeah, you can do a car wash manager and make a lot of money as a car wash manager. Uh, it is amazing. They were reading off to me. Uh, they were so excited. I mean, these two professional men I was with today were like five-year-old boys. We're going to Bucky's. We're going to Bucky's. So well, it's I'm, big. It's a big. 
I'm really upset because if you will remember when we took a road trip recently, we passed by Bucky's a couple of times and I said, why don't we go to Bucky's? Because I knew that this would be an experience that we could have together. And you snubbed your nose at me and looked down at me for even suggesting. I'm, like, I'm better than that. I am not going to eat food from a gas station. You can all day long. And that's why your stomach stays tore up all the time, which that's is another very thing, I guess. Thing to say. I didn't eat anything from Bucky's on the food poisoning day, just so that's well, all. Yeah, shout out to Bucky's. And I hope that we, they, some, I hope somehow somebody from Bucky's hears this, I don't know how, and calls us and offers us some free nuggets if we come on back. Well, some I Bucky was thinking nuggets. as you were talking, Laura Douglas's words came to my mind where she called us the two hillbillies that she loves. Because I thought, yes. I don't think I've ever heard anything sound more hillbilly than you can get you some paper nuggets when you said <laughs> that. <laughs> Other than the other day when we said, I'm talking to you and we're having this conversation and this is sad, but I did yell out to my husband, don't you dare turn Lisa Marie Presley's good. They're going to have her funeral on there. And because I am a, you know, a huge Elvis fan and it, but the way it came out was it couldn't have been more Southern. Don't you dare turn another grab Lisa Marie Presley's funeral from Graceland. <laughs> anyway. All right. And that did, that made me so sad because. As I say, under Dolly's Elvis. Yeah. Well, and as you were saying that about Lisa Marie, rest in peace, I was thinking I'll be the same way on the day if it happens. Uh, 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 don't you dare say Dolly. I'm don't just you saying. dare. I'm saving up a lot of sick okay. days. So, well, the state of Tennessee will shut down for a day of grieving when Dolly passes a couple of weeks ago no I've got to tell this a couple of weeks ago my hair hit a height record like Mm -hmm. it's never been higher and bigger I had on a gold jacket and I walked into my front Mm -hmm. office and they burst out laughing at me I looked good I don't care they could laugh all day I looked good and they called me Dolly for the rest of the day and I said, if you think you're offending me, you are wrong. Because there is no higher compliment that you can give me than to call me Dolly. I said, I will remember this day for the rest of my life. And they kept sending me like songs. They were like, oh, man, it must be bad to work nine to five. And I just thought, <laughs> you are not offending me. This is uh, the highest praise yes. to a Southerner. Highest praise you can give me. Well, well I am going to uh, say that we're doing this intro after we have talked to, because we were running late and we're just getting started. uh, So we had to just jump right on. And so you're going to hear my autistic child call how my computer, I don't know, uh, but he was calling this computer. And so you're going to hear that go off and me decline it. So I'm in trouble when I get home. I'll tell you that right. He's not going to be happy. He knows I get home. Judge, Judge Walker, three o'clock. Judge Walker, three o'clock. That's an old movie. If you haven't saw the movie, it's about a guy with autism who had to watch Judge Walker every day. Clanton has to have me home at a certain time. I didn't make it. I, I'm at my mom's doing this. And so I have got to get, but you're going to hear that. But you are also in for a treat. This is going to inspire you. It is, it, it is going to inspire you like it did me to take it to make an impact just to do the best I can to make impact on students lives 
And I'm going to give the disclaimer that you're barely going to hear my voice because Kim hogged it the whole time. So that's another disclaimer that people need to be prepared for. Hogged it. Hogged it. I want you to think about the language you use it, that you use. <laughs> You're professional. Who says hogged it? Who says beaver nuggets? Hillbilly. Enjoy the show. Hillbilly say it. <laughs> we are here with Dr. Debbie Grant, who is a jack of all trades, a master of all trades. You are involved in so many things. Just listening to you before we jumped on this podcast, um, I'm exhausted just listening to all the things that you have going on. But it's interesting, Kim and I met you at the awards banquet um, for the Alabama uh, School Counselors Conference, and you came in and uh, you were talking about your session that you had just presented, and immediately we were captivated and thought, oh my goodness, we want more Dr. Grant. And so you graciously agreed to uh, share some of your time with us and come on this podcast. Um, So why don't you tell our listeners um, a little bit about where you've been, what you're doing now, and we'll go from there. Okay. I appreciate uh, you inviting me to be on the podcast. I've actually been really excited about this. I have been a counselor for 38 years, so I'm kind of a dinosaur, I guess, in the field. I feel like a dinosaur anyway. Um, I did my, uh, received my PhD at Syracuse University in upstate New York and have worked in um, a number of different venues within counseling. So I'm very eclectic, um, kind of a different animal when it comes to counseling. Um, My master's degree is in rehabilitation counseling. So I'm a uh, retired certified rehab counselor. And certainly in my first, the first part of my career, um, I worked in substance abuse and addiction recovery. Um, Worked in upstate New York at a center for addiction recovery, have a real passion for family support of addiction and and treatment. Um, So I worked in the addiction field when we moved to Birmingham 29 years ago. I began a career with University of Birmingham, UAB Department of Psychiatry, and I was the director of family therapy for their outpatient substance abuse program. So I worked with them and developed, really, they had no support mechanism for family therapy. And so I direct developed a curriculum and worked um, primarily with family members of both adults and adolescents that were in treatment to offer that family support. My goal was to reduce um, to reduce relapse and to prepare the family to be a safe place for somebody in recovery. From there, I went and was a professor at University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And from there, I spent 10 years at the University of Montevallo. I was the coordinator of the clinical um, the clinical and the um, community agency mental health clinical counseling track for 10 years um, and then made a very strange transition by some, by some people's standards. It was a very strange transition. Um, I was offered the opportunity to go to Hoover city schools, Hoover high school specifically and begin development of a ninth grade academy, a ninth grade campus. And they really wanted a counselor that could do 
uh, career and college readiness. And they, the principal said to me, who better than to help kids get ready for college than a college professor? And the fact that I had a counseling background, I think made it all the better. So spent 15 years at Hoover. Um, and while I was at Hoover, um, served as a grade level counselor, served in, in an intervention role with students who had psychiatric issues, did a lot of work with the kids that were on the spectrum. Um, and so kind of I was testing coordinator. I was kind of a jack of all trades there as well, uh, because I do have such a diverse background, um, was really able to even work with the special ed teachers um, as a rehab counselor and a vocational evaluator with our kids that had IEPs who were getting ready to do the school to work transition. Um, and so was able to even use some of my rehab counseling skills. In 2020, I had been teaching part-time adjunct for the University of West Alabama in their online counseling program. And I retired from Hoover High School and have been full-time with University of West Alabama ever since. I'm core school counseling faculty with them. Um, I also opened a private practice, and most of the kids I see are Hoover kids. That's no shock. Um, I see a lot of Hoover kids, a lot of kids from uh, Jefferson, Shelby County, um, and have a full practice, more than I really can even handle. I've got a wait list. Um, and then I'm, of course, many people, most people in the Alabama Counseling Association know me as the NBCC girl. In fact, next year at the conference, I'm going to get me a sweatshirt made that says I'm the NBCC girl because everybody that sends in their paperwork, that's how I'm identified. I'm the one that does the certificates, but I am busy. I'm an LPC supervisor. I have five ALCs um, that are in three that are in clinical mental health, two that are school counseling. And so I am a pretty, um, I'm a pr pretty high energy person and counseling obviously is my passion. The field um, is my passion. I'm very passionate about adolescent mental health, which is why um, the session that I did at the Alabama conference was so critical for me. I work with many, many kids and I have worked in 38 years with many, many kids who are in a disengaged, have disengaged parents. And I've actually had kids say to me before when I've questioned them, why did you do that? Why did you make that choice? What, what were you thinking? Um, I've had more than three kids say to me, well, what do you expect? I was raised by wolves. I raised myself. And so mm -hmm. that has always stuck with me. And I did as much as I could in the 15 years I was at Hoover, 14, 15 years I was at Hoover, to try to make teachers, administrators, coaches, school personnel aware that what we see from the curb is not always what's really going on at home. And that even in a school district like Hoover, which is in a very nice area, um, there are kids that are literally raising themselves. There's no one at home asking about homework. There's no one at home making sure that you have lunch money in your account. 
There's no one at home um, asking you anything about school. And those kids really became my passion because those are the kids, unfortunately, who typically have high academic ability. They have no support. And I think we're fooling ourselves if we don't think that these are where some of our dropouts come. If there's nobody pushing you at home and no one cares really about your academic performance, um, it's very easy for a child when they turn 17, 16, 17, 18 to say, nobody cares if I'm in school. My parents don't know anything. They don't even know what classes that I'm taking. Um, and so we have a lot of kids that give up um, on school and give up on themselves. So, um, you know, what I see, even in my private practice, I have some kids that drive themselves. Um, they hand me a check that mom wrote. Um, I've had parents actually come to my door of my office and kind of push. I have a, a dad who kind of pushes his 13 year old in my office and says, can you just fix her? Mm. You know, here's my insurance, my blue cross card. Can you just deal with her and fix her? Can you take her till she's 18? Can you, um, and so a lot of kids have their physical needs met. They don't have their emotional needs met. And when you see this type of disengaged parenting and you see the after effects of it, it is heartbreaking for me. It has really become my passion to work with these kids. Um, I also think, as I talked about in my presentation, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that we're naive to think that all parents that are disengaged are voluntarily disengaged. There are many, many parents, especially single moms, single dads, who are working two or three jobs trying to keep the rent paid and the lights on. And so what may appear to be disengaged parenting is called survival of the fittest. And, you know, dad may be working eight to five and then he's running to a job at 530 where he waits tables at Olive Garden. And he gets home at 9.30 or 10. And on the weekend, he's delivering, you know, he's delivering groceries for Publix to try to make sure that, you know, everything's done. And so those kids um, have the same issues and have the same needs. Those are the parents that I really try to partner with and make sure that they are able to access everything we have in the community, whether it's food pantries whether it's assistance with utilities, assistance with rent, um, so that maybe, you know, if dad were to be able to get some extra assistance, maybe he could quit one of his jobs. Maybe he could be with his children on Saturday and Sunday. And so um, I'm really a proponent of school counselors and clinical mental health agency counselors knowing what's available in their community. Um, as counselors, we have to help the disengaged parents um, who need these resources. Um, and a lot of times these kids will tell you, my mom cares. My mom just works three jobs. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. the kids that really break my heart, though, are the kids that live in million dollar homes. Um, mom and dad are both um, professionals, typically um, highly educated but they kind of have their own agenda. Um, and, you know, I have, I talk about a boy that I had at Hoover who's 
you know, his mom and dad every Friday gave him a credit card and gave him $100 cash. They gave him five $20 bills and said, stay out of trouble. Don't soil the family name. Uh, don't get arrested and be home by seven o'clock Sunday night. And dad would say, I'm going to the hunting club with my buddies, your mom's, you know, doing this or that. We don't want to see you. Don't get in trouble. And and basically, mm. you're giving a 16-year-old mm. um, unlimited financial resources, an empty house, um, and you're sending the message that I basically don't care what you do as long as I don't know about it, um, as long as the community, the police, you know, other people don't know about it. And um, a lot of these kids really feel as though they are on an island. And you know, one little boy came to me one day and he said, I don't want their money and I don't want their credit card. I just want my dad to take me to the hunting club with him. Oh, wow. Never mm. once has he said, would you like to learn to hunt? Um, even if you don't want to hunt, you know, bring your Chromebook and, you know, hang out with us in the cabin. You know, um, he said, no, my dad is not interested in spending time with me. Um, and these are kids that are on the basketball court, on the football field, on the track, and look up in the audience and see no one. Mm. And um, I used to run myself ragged because when, um, you know, my boys were teenagers, I had one that was in Scouts, who's an Eagle Scout. I had one in the marching band. And between trying to run between Boy Scout events, Boy Scout banquets, campouts, and all that, um, and be a band mom and do their field trips and all their stuff. But then there were many days after school that I would tell my boys, mom is going to be 45 minutes late coming home tonight because I have two kids that are wrestlers and there's a wrestling meet. And you understand that if your mama doesn't stay after school and watch them wrestle and they're in the first match, there will be no one there. And my boys, one of who is now a teacher, a band director, a baby in Atlanta, and my oldest one is a police officer. They were like, Mama, <laughs> that's exactly where you need to be. You know, um, my children are both very much like me and that they put other people first. And so they were like, no, it's OK. You stay and watch that. They need to see Mama Grant in the stands. Um, I've gone to band competitions when I didn't even have my own child in the band competition, but I've gone and walked up into the marching band and hugged the neck of five or six kids and said, I'm watching you. I want you to do great. Um, you know, I can't wait. Um, I would go to the Friday night home football games and walk up into the band and sit with the kids. Now, half the time, they didn't know who I was there for, but, but all they thought was Dr. Grant came to watch me march. I was there as they lined up. I waved at them. I was there sitting in the band section when they came back and said, you did a great job. I could hear you all the way in the stands. Um, you know, those are the little things that you have to do. You right. also have to be a, you have to mentor parents. Kids don't come with directions. And so for some people, maternal and paternal instinct is natural. For many people who are very focused on career 
and materialistic things, um, being a parent doesn't come naturally. And so there were several times that I had to make uncomfortable phone calls and say, you realize that your son is really bummed out that you've never been to one of his track meets and he's a junior. Really? Why well, didn't think about that? Um, you might want to consider getting off work an hour early and being there at the field. And I'm happy to meet you there. I'm happy to meet you there and show you where most of the parents sit. And I'm happy to introduce you to the other parents so that the next time, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, the next time I can get you to come, you will know some familiar faces. Okay. Um, a lot of times single moms didn't come to events or single dads because they didn't want to sit by themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And so if I can show up and sit with them for the 30, first 30 minutes of the basketball game and introduce them to some of my great parents and sit and eat a, a box of popcorn and have a Coke with them and give them that little bit of sense of community and make sure that their child sees them there and how important that is, a lot of times I plant the seed. And once you can get someone there, they will typically come back. But if you've ever had to go somewhere by yourself, a wedding, a party, a cookout, um, it's uncomfortable. Yes. Because in our society, people are paired up. Uh, we live in a culture where typically, you know, you always go with someone else. And um, I think for parents, it's no different. And I've had kids come to me and say, you're the reason my mom now comes to my volleyball games because before you talked to her and sat with her, it wasn't on her radar at all. But you were the one to finally make her aware how important it was to me. And, um, you know, it, it's just building that bridge. It's building that bridge. And so. Yeah, I was just, thinking of that word bridge. Yeah, you're making those relationships. And that is what it that is. You're next level. Let me just say that you are next level, uh, but you are building that relationships, which we know is what takes to pull these kids out of our, our family. It's just that I'm thinking of it differently than I've ever thought about it for the, our listeners who are all over the United States. When she talks about Hoover, this is a this is a school system that it's if you say this in Alabama, it, it brings to mind mansions. It brings to mind the top of the line of education, the top of the line of sports, uh, 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 fields and equipment. I mean, we're talking about where the rich people in Alabama live. And so it's it, it crosses that socioeconomic barrier. I live in one of the poorest areas uh sections and and uh, so I deal with the other so I get that raised by wolves but I it, this is a really um, I guess growth mindset for me to think about parents that on the other end are so driven mm -hmm. to make keep up with the Joneses and to keep up with the, this that they've got going and the material that 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 they have forgot their you know, you can see it in that poverty level and then to think about it in the complete opposite, the, the in the right. rich area with rich kids. So I was just that is a really for our listeners that is she's talking about one of the nicest areas in Alabama. But that is still does not mean that those parents know how to parent or feel comfortable. Maybe not have been like you're doing. You're saying, I'm going to show you how. And to, so I am just, I knew you were something special when you walked into that banquet. Oh. 
and everybody kind of stops like you're in the house and we start hearing all these stories from everybody just that you're the real deal and you've even had students who've gone on uh, to play professional and they've come back to you know you're still that person that those relationships don't stop do they no they don't and and the thing is um, once you love a child and they know you love them unconditionally, the bond is forever. Um, and you know, the funny thing, everybody laughs in my private practice. I have four students that I had nine through 12th grade at Hoover. One is now 24 and a student at UAB still comes to see me every other Friday. Um, his parents laugh and say, uh, you're a senior in college now. Um, I know, but I still need Dr. Grant's direction. I have one in graduate school. I have a couple in the NFL. Um, you know, I have, um, I've kind of got them all over the place. And the funny thing is, is that they know that our bond is forever. And, you know, the one little guy laughed the other day and he said, my parents, um, are hoping that I'm going to get a good job as soon as I graduate from engineering at UAB and that I'm going to get a job and move and do my own thing. And he said, but, but what am I going to do if I have to move out of state? Or, and I said, you know what? We'll Zoom. Um, I really think that if I can ever get him to ask a girl out, I'll probably be going on his honeymoon in another room with him or something. <laughs> this guy is, it's ridiculous. but. It's that bond and that sense of security that they may not have gotten. And and the thing is, I think what's so important about what we do as school counselors is we are their fresh, objective adult. I can't take their cell phone. I can't take their car keys. I can't ground them. Um, I'm just their adult who is 100%. I try to be 100% objective, but they soon become my children, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, for some of them, even at 24 and 26, they still want to run things by me. My opinion still matters. And for me, that's inspiring because I think all the time, what's a, why does a 24-year-old woman care what a 60-year-old woman thinks? But the fact is, they don't see me as a 60 year old woman. They see me as their confidant. Um, and I also think that, you know, COVID made it very difficult for some families who um, have kind of a high standard of living to maintain for, for the first time. Their kids were at home. They didn't know what to do with them. Um, once COVID was over, after being in the house for a year, year and a half with their kids, they wanted space and they put a high price on being able to say, my child has this, my child has that. Um, kids want your presence with the C. They don't want your presence with the TS. Um, and that's why I tell parents all the time, your child doesn't care about the materialistic things that you think they care about. They want time with you. And so I really try to educate parents about that. I think that is so wonderful that education of parents one of the things I saw as a high school counselor it was maybe we had really good parents maybe they parented well 
But especially if it was their firstborn child, they thought once they got in high school, hands off. I'm going to look yes. like that helicopter parent. I'm going to look. And, and we never heard from them. They never showed up. They're, right. They were listening to the kids who said, no other parents is doing this. I don't want you to come. I don't want you to be a part. And that is one of the things that I tell my middle school parents, be involved. These are children. They're still children, not through 12. Right. And uh, they need, they, they are going to push back, but you are their parent. You're responsible for them. You need to know what's on their phone, what they're doing. They're still kids. But I think that that is one of the, oh, I am so sorry. It's my little boy that I told you about. He, I don't know how it's coming through on this computer. So sorry. Uh, so I think that, I think that education Autistic, autistic, and so he's going to keep going. Yep, those are my kids. Well, yeah, so and I think too. Here's the thing: I don't think, and I I've told my husband this before. I don't think parents know what they don't know. Right. Um, I think with a firstborn child, um, they think, well, you know, I got them to eighth grade; they're kind of on their own. Um, yeah. Let the high school coaches and teachers and everybody work with them. Um, and you know, they, they're willing to write the check to pay for the sport, but then quickly, oh, my daughter, okay. She made the volleyball team. So that means she's got a game every Tuesday, Thursday afternoon, uh, one Saturday a month, you know, there's a volleyball tournament. Mom says, well, I had planned to play tennis with my friends. Well, you know what? You've got your whole life to play tennis with your friends. You need to be in the stands at your daughter's volleyball tournament. And a lot of times kids are hesitant to ask their parents to attend functions because for one reason or another, they have been given the impression that we don't have time, we are not interested, I need to do something else. And so once a child asks mom and dad one time and they get turned down, rarely do they ask again. Hmm. And parents fall into this trap. And I've had parents say, well, he doesn't care if I'm in his baseball games. And I said, are you sure? And she said, well, he never mentions it. And I said, but that doesn't mean he doesn't want you there. Um, there's a lot of communication gaps. And um, a lot of times kids don't know how to self-advocate with parents. You can teach a, a kid all day to self-advocate with a principal or a teacher. But when it comes mm -hmm. to their parents, Parents hold so much over them that a lot of times I've had kids say, my parents are disengaged. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to make my life any more difficult than it already is. I don't care if they ever come. Um, and that breaks my heart. So that's why, you know, all those years at Hoover, I ran my legs off trying to make sure that I was in the stands or, you know, I would even, you know, talk to grandparents. I would, I would talk to a grandparent. I would go out in the carpool line. And one of my girls, her grandparents picked her up every afternoon. And I was out there one day and I introduced myself. I said, I'm your granddaughter's school counselor. And I said, I'd love for you to meet me one afternoon at her softball game. I said, because I sit by myself at the softball game. And they said, we're allowed to attend those. Absolutely. And so these 70 some year old people, I told them, I pointed, I said, you meet me over there. And I said, here's my phone number. You call me that afternoon and we'll meet. Well, we sat and watched her softball game and they had the most fun 
that little girl could hardly swing the bat. She was so excited. She kept looking over to make sure they were still there. Um, mm. And I told her grandparents, I said, you know, if you're retired and you have the, the resource of time to do this, you just don't know what you're doing for her. They came every game they could. And she said to me, thank you for inviting my grandparents because they wouldn't have thought about coming. You know, and she wasn't thinking about asking them because she didn't think anybody cared. No, nope. let me ask you um, this. We had a conversation today. I had a conversation um, with um, one of the um, assistant superintendents. He said that with the higher income schools, he has more parent complaints mm -hmm. because there's almost a sense of entitlement that I don't want my child to be. I don't want my child to go through anything. Yeah. So are these same parents, are they, when it comes to by Ned, you're not messing with my child, are they the same ones that will come in and, and get you on that end or they totally could care less on any of it? It depends. I've seen both. I have some that say, you know what, my child is such and such, um, you know, they, they, um, I don't want anything that's going to, you know, I've, I've had parents say, I don't want my child to have a 504 plan or an IEP because in our family, no one's ever had a learning disability and we're just not going to, we're just not going to have a learning disability. Well, you don't get to pick and choose. Um, and, you know, or I've had parents that say, well, you know, he can't have an, I, uh, an IEP because he's going to go to law school. And, and, you know, you talk to the kid and you're like, do you have any interest in going to law school? No, my dad's a lawyer. So he says I have to be a lawyer. Um, so a lot of times it's a status. It's the parent doesn't want to necessarily, um, they don't want anything to happen at school that may in fact reflect differently, not even poorly, differently on them. And so the only time you'll hear from them is when there's an issue that ultimately affects them. Um, gotcha. They're not going to come to a track meet. They're not going to show up for an IEP or 504 meeting. They're not going to show up until the kid gets in trouble and the principal calls and says, we need you to come in. Um, your son or daughter might be going to alternative school or whatever. Now, they're going to show up with their attorney in hand and the fight's on. But yep. as long as That's you stay, stay out of their way, um, don't intrude on their time, um, you know, and their kid kind of does their own thing and raises themselves, they will stay off your radar. Um, and a lot of parents, I find, avoid school because they're so embarrassed. Um, you know, I've had parents who will come and, and I'm like, oh, it's so great to meet you. And She's like, well, I'm really embarrassed. You know, we have a tough time making it. My husband left us last year. Um, I'm trying to work three jobs. I feel like I'm an embarrassment to my child. No, never feel that way. And that's when you sit down and say, let me help you find some help. Um, you know, and, and a lot of times parents are embarrassed. They don't want to be an embarrassment to their kids. I've had parents that say, I really need Tommy to be on free reduced lunch because I don't have money to put in his lunch account, but he doesn't want to be one of the free reduced lunch kids. <clears throat> um, you know what? And then once you talk him through it and you sit with them at a computer and you help them apply 
they understand that Tommy's not going to have a bright orange card that says, I've got, I'm a free reduced lunch kid. Um, he's going to punch in a code like everybody else and nobody will even know. Yeah. yeah. Nobody will even know. But the parents think. I like education. Yeah. <clears throat> so a lot of what I did was parent education. Um, it's okay to get a reduced lunch. That's what's, that's what it's there for. Okay. Yeah. It's okay to go to the band director. I mean, um, there were times when I had a little girl in choir one year, her mom had just lost her job and they needed to have a specific dress for the choral concert. And the dresses were like $80. Um, and the little girl said, I'm not going to be able to sing in the concert. My mom doesn't have $80. So what did I do? I reached out to some of the choir moms whose kids had graduated last year because I knew them all. And I said, I sent out, a, you know, a message. I said, do any of you have a size 12 black choir dress that your child did not take to college with them that you'd be willing to give me to donate for me? I'll have it dry clean for this little girl to wear. I ended up with a whole closet full of stuff. Mm -hmm. And this little girl got the dress. I took it to the cleaner, had it cleaned. Nobody even knew about that. Yeah. But you have to be, you have to think out of the box. You have to think, where can I get this dress? Okay. My husband yeah. and I paid for band uniforms for kids who made a contribution. A lot of times I would go around to some of my, my teacher friends and say, this child's in your class. You wouldn't be willing to donate 10 bucks for this. A lot of times teachers, because I ask, would put together something we needed for a kid. We paid for a field trip. All of us, you know, four people pitched in $10 and we paid for it. And the kid never even knew where it came from. Because where it comes from doesn't matter. Right. What matters is that they got to do what every other kid did. And that's so important, especially at that high school level. And yes. you're right. All, sometimes all it takes is you call that the salon. And they're going to do the whole thing. Well, you know, yeah. oh, no, we're, we're going to handle everything. We're going to have the hair. We're going to do the nails. We're going to, you bring them in. You know, we've had yeah. that. Well, people are so willing. But I think for me, the lesson here, I hope our listeners is, it. you know, you, you, I think some people are afraid to, to get real sometimes with parents. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes we have to, as counselors, especially, we think about is this for the betterment of the child. Right. And you sometimes have to do those hard conversations and with the parents or with the kid because, hey, sure. mom and dad are not telling you you stink. I know you're a right. teenager now. I'm going to tell you, sweetie, because I love you. Right. And here's all the things you need. So, um, and it, I think another thing that I picked up is this cross is also showing ec economic barriers. This is, all, this is not healthy or poor or middle income. No. It is. There are kids who are not being raised. They're raising themselves. Right. Uh, so I kept you over the time. Do you have any, no. uh, like, is there, what, what, what is counselors as our rubber meet the road on this? What is it that we can, would you say would be your, your top ways to address parents or students who are totally raising themselves? First of all, know your local community. Get out and beat the bushes. Make, you know, make phone calls. Drop 
you know, drop by different places, send out, create a letter and send it out to every church within a 30 mile radius of your school and, and say, I'm trying to find out if you have a food pantry. I'm trying to find out if you have gas coupons, if you help with Alabama power, uh, you know, gas bills, whatever. Um, you'd be surprised how many resources go underutilized because nobody asks for it, okay? Um, do what I call, you know, I call them minute meetings. I would get my teachers, and a lot of times they were my history teacher friends, to let me camp out outside their door. And when they were going over quizzes or whatever, and I would sit out there and I would do minute meetings with my kids. And the kids, I'd say, how's everything at school? Give me one word that describes things at home. You can tell a lot from what kids say. Um, I took a list this big and triaged it down to this. From that list, I met individually and got it down to this. And I had my 20, 25 kids who were really on my radar because I felt like there was some disengagement. Um, and so, but you have to know the kids. You have to be with the kids. Um, you know, be at the bus stop when the or at the bus line in the morning. The kids that are getting off the bus, be you know, have a clipboard and notice what what appears to be going on. Step up inside the bus. I used to get up inside the buses and say when I was at the ninth grade campus, I would get up in the bus and say, "Any kids you're worried about?" Any kids, when you pull up to their bus stop that you're worried about, yeah, have you noticed so-and-so, even in, the, in January, never wears a coat? They don't have a coat. The bus driver keyed me in on that. Okay, well, that's a quick fix because I went right down the street to, you know, um, Old Navy and, and bought a downfill winter jacket for 20 bucks and gave it to the kid that afternoon. I mean, it's easy. Go to the Salvation Army thrift store. I used to buy kids. I had a closet full of clothes for kids that I bought at the thrift store and I would take it home and wash it. And I'd say, here, looks like you're cold today. Here's some mittens. Here's a hat. Um, but your bus drivers are a great resource, especially in rural areas. Um, in rural areas, bus drivers tend to know what's going on. Um, talk to the lunchroom ladies. Any kids you've observed? Talk to the people that have lunch duty. Any kids that seem to be kind of on the outskirts of what's going on. Network, network, network. Send out an email to all your teachers and say, I am trying to very quickly circle the wagons around kids that may not have the support at home. Kids that appear to never have their homework. Kids that appear that have parents that never respond to teacher emails. Um, you can narrow, you can take a huge school and make it a very small place, but it requires you to brilliant. move. You're brilliant. Yeah. You're brilliant. That's exactly what you have to do. Narrow yes. down. It's like it's overwhelming, yes. but right. get that data and what you will see is this is a this is, I can make a step toward this amount. Yeah. You are brilliant. You are brilliant. And you're one of our people. Laura and I do the minute meetings. We do a lot of what you're talking about, but I am nowhere near where you're at. I want to be you. I am so glad oh. to know you now. 
Uh, we met you at the award ceremony and I could tell this is, I told Laura, I said, I am so drawn to her, her energy uh, and the well, love. Everybody, the everybody was drawn to you. And, um, and oh, we well, did thank it. you. You're the real deal. Well, I appreciate that. I'm always available. Um, you know, I do a lot of training with parents, you know, a lot of times. Um, in fact, tomorrow I've got to do a session. One of my little girls, when she came in last week, I said, what do you want me to do? And she said, can you talk to my parents? Mm. I said, what do you want me to talk to them about? Well, they don't listen to me. Maybe they'll listen to you. So I'm going to have a really hard conversation tomorrow afternoon with a couple parents that kind of need to hear the way their daughter feels. And she's fearful that she's not comfortable saying it, but I'm needs to be said. Yeah. Got to move forward. Yeah. We're yeah. in an impasse. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much an ad. I advocate for those that won't advocate for themselves. So um, that's kind of my role. I feel like it's my spiritual gift. So you guys know how to get me, you know, where I'm at. We're now friends. Uh, for life. And so um, I'm always, always here to help you guys. Oh, and if any of our listeners want to contact you and have you do this session at their state level or anything like that, uh, we can put your email address in the show notes. Does that work? Yeah. 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 Just put my Dr. Deb Grant at Gmail. Okay. Well, I would encourage you guys to do that because she is the real deal. So thank you guys. We appreciate you taking your time and coming on here and sharing this wisdom. I just think the word that comes to mind when I think about you, you are a trailblazer and you were doing these things before people were talking about them. And you are a treasure, not only for the state of Alabama, but for the nation. And I'm so grateful. Thank you very much. You're very, you're very sweet. Kim, I am so mad at you. And I learned something from Dr. Grant just now. And that is that I have to self-advocate. And I believe that I need to have a tough conversation with you right now and tell you that I'm angry with you. <laughs> you talked her. I didn't get to ask her any questions because you talked the whole time. I am a talk hog. Yeah. I'm a and talk so hog. I started this thing because your internet was wonky. So I, and yes. honestly, I was glad. I was like, I'm going to take advantage of this while you can't get connected. And so I jumped in. I hear your voice and I hear your voice and I am going to try to do better, but only, I'm only going to do better if you get with her and y'all both talk to me about it. Mm. Well, I, help you. there were so many things that she said that were just. So great. And well, now she's a talker. I mean, you have to give me that. There was a whole lot of just. And I, mean, I really I wanted you to shut your mouth so I could hear more of her. Her. I hear that may be the real problem right there is we did not get enough of her. But uh, she's just one of those that is. Now, some I have to we have to remember she is a therapist also. So she's doing therapy and she's but she was talking about her counseling these high school students and it was just a it was just very very interesting to think about kids just thinking raised by wolves just thinking of it in those terms I mean that's yeah. pretty powerful stuff well and it's interesting to think about the the different types of wolves 
that are raising these kids because, you know, you've got the ones that this is how they were raised, so they don't know any better. You've got the ones like what she was talking about that, you know, they're working 12 jobs, just trying to keep things going. And, and so they're just in this situational wolf situation. And then you've got the, um, you know, million dollar homes, like what she was talking about. And just, you know, they are all taking a toll on the kids. Yeah. You have to wonder, like, I don't know. But I love the way that she tackles problems and she is next level. I will never be to that level where I'm able to, to go, you know, I mean, she just is building those bridges and relationships and that level of care. And she did tell the story about one. And I don't, I don't even know if I can, should even tell this, but I was so impressed just with these kids who are now, and I, I famous. I mean, these yeah. are famous people now, and they they will before they leave that stadium give her a call. And she told about a story there that she didn't share here. Um, but it just goes to show that that bond never. If you've made that bond strong enough, you're never going to break it. It's just amazing. Well, I and love her. I love her too, and so I I would like more of her. I'm. The power of meeting individually with students is, again, she reiterated that because we talk a lot about our minute meetings. And I love the way she, what you do is you take that whole group of students and it does whittle down. It seems like there's this huge problem, but if you start to whittle it down, it makes it more doable. Now, granted, we are finding ourselves in a situation where that number is increasing, that that need for student uh, emotionally and physically and all those types of needs are are growing Mm -hmm. but uh that's the only way to figure out who has it is to to do all the things she's talking about so uh, sorry not the old navy commercial cracks me up sorry not sorry so i say that all the time sorry not sorry well it fits you it fits you well and i don't i want to mention this just because if there's a counselor counselor out there that is inspired by this episode, but yet still feels overwhelmed. I do want to say that a lot of the things that Dr. Grant is talking about, we teach in our course called the first 20 days, and I can drop a link in that, but we kind of help walk you through how to go out into your community, what to say, what to carry with you and how to have those conversations. We also have a segment on minute meetings. If you think I want to do that, how, where do I start? Well, in that course, um, there are about, what, eight to 12 modules. I get confused. But we we go through a lot of these things and just kind of walk with you through that process. And we always say whether it's your first year or your 21st year, these are things that are going to help you uh, be successful, save time, and uh, be a leader in your school. And so you heard it here with Dr. Grant saying that. So go check out that course and, um, you know, you might could even use a purchase order. It counts for PD credit in a lot of school systems. And I think it would be a great use of your time to take that course. Um, so you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can subscribe to our newsletter and uh, we'll probably put the course in our newsletter just so uh, you have an easy link to it. So make sure you're subscribed to that. You can also rate and review and subscribe to our podcast so you will never miss an episode like this treasure chest of an episode with Dr. Grant. Any last words, Kim? 
Uh, you do all the talking, and I find that very hard to handle. Oh my goodness. 